from the Board Gamers Anonymous, episode 144, PAX Unplugged 2017. We'd like to thank all our Patreon backers for helping us bring you an ad-free episode. You're listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast with board gamers and the insane fun we have at PAX Unplugged 2017. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we are live Sunday, PAX Unplugged 2017. The con is over, but the fun has not stopped, Anthony. We are still holding out a candle as things start to dim down. And as all the different boots start to get broken down and people are taking their packs and plugs holes back home, it's been quite, quite a con. Nothing that I ever expected. Yeah, I mean, what could you expect? Nobody knew what was going on. So <laughs> it's not. Um, yeah, no, we're sitting here in the hotel room recording this. And um, I'm sure all our buddies back in the, in the hall are hopefully just now finishing up getting things done so they can go home. But uh, yeah, no, it's been a, a heck of a heck of a con. Yeah, that was probably the apt word for the whole entire con was nobody knew what to expect. And while it was happening, no one knew what was going on. Yeah. And now that it's over, no one's really sure what happened. So Yeah, so we're going to try to explain it. But that's part of our feature review. And we'll get to that in just a little while. We want to bring you the kind of the up-to-date information that's going on with all of the listeners out there. And especially our question of the week. So, Anthony, what are our listeners talking about? All right, so it's con... This week. Con! Or, no matter where you were, because if, if you weren't here, you were in BGG Con. It's true. Or you were at home wishing you were at one of the two. Um, so I asked everybody, what is your most anticipated new release of 2018 thus far? Um, I had a few people mention games that are actually coming out at the end of this year, but, well, you know, we'll give them, it's fine. Maybe they won't get them until next year. Um, <laughs> but a lot of people mentioned Rising Sun. Paul, Nathan, Steven... Uh, lots, Damien, lots of people are looking forward to Rising Sun. I am among them. Some of the other games mentioned here, uh, Majesty, Feudum, uh, Joan of Arc, Brass, the new one, Root, uh, War Room, not one I'm familiar with. So lots of different games people are looking forward to, but I think anything from Eric Lang jumps to the top of most people's lists. I think one of the games that I'm really looking forward to, we talked about this in a preview, and we got to talk to the people and the designers for Root. I think that's quite an interesting, different game. I think it's under most people's radar because it's not the traditional area control game when you look at the artwork and the graphic design style, but it's something very, very unique. And I think it's going to be a sleeper hit for 2018. Yeah, it looks fantastic. Yeah, for me, I mean, Rising Sun's way up there. Star Wars Legion might be on that list too. Sure. How much I'm going to play it, I don't know, but I'm certainly going to buy it. So, <laughs> um, any Star Wars, I mean, it's me. I'm well, done. Fantasy Flight doesn't care if you play it. They just want you to buy it, man. That's fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> buy it all. <laughs> and I do. <laughs> I think that was a, a, a general consensus from the con, and, and I think pretty much everything from Asmo Day. Like, we just got the stuff that you want. You, you're going to buy it, and, you know, can't, who can blame them? Yeah, exactly. So, Star Wars, miniatures, combat, gonna buy. So that's, that's where I'm at. But yeah, Rising Sun 2, I think that's going to ship at the beginning of the year for Kickstarter backers. So, pretty early in the year, we'll be getting that one, which will be awesome. 
Yeah. So if you have any subconscious messages you want to put out there to the vast internet and let them know what games they should be looking at, and if you want to help Asmodee in kind of penetrating our brains and eventually penetrating our wallet, our Facebook group really is a great place to get started with that. There's questions a week every day. There's always a conversation going on there. Jump in there. Yell about what's great. Yell about what's coming up. Uh, if you're a Patreon backer, our Slack channel is always up and going. It's the quickest and the most direct way to get back to us and hear what you're saying actually on your favorite podcast. And especially YouTube. We have our Board Gamers Anonymous website. We have our Twitter account. There's just so many ways to reach out to us. As the holidays wrap up, it's going to be you know fast and furious, especially with all these upcoming sales and with the new games kind of hitting you know U.S. distribution. So keep with us up and keep up with everybody on BGA. All right. With that said, let's get on to our acquisition disorder. So Anthony, what are you? Looking forward to coming out, hopefully in 2017, if not 2018. Oh, this is definitely going to be 18. I mean, okay. 19, I don't know. But <laughs> 19. 20! <laughs> <laughs> Eventually, hopefully. Um, no, we got a chance to sit down and demo Chronicles of Crime. This is a, a game from Lucky Duck Games. I think they did Vikings Gone Wild. Mm-hmm. It's the one you guys would know. Uh, so it's a... I don't know how to describe this. It's basically Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective, if it was all done in an app and there was no newspapers or clue books and it was all in an app and you had a funky headset on <laughs> and you were using augmented reality and virtual reality uh it is this crazy multimedia experience where you are investigators trying to solve a crime and you each have your own special guy you can work with um but really the core of the idea of the game is there are clues there are people there are locations everything has a qr code and you're scanning them with your phone You'll go to a location, you'll scan it, and then you'll scan a person at that location, and then maybe you'll scan an item to ask that person about the item. So you're scanning things. You're basically trying to figure out the connections to all these different things with the goal of solving the crime. Yes. Um, the app drives all of this. It tells you the story. It tells you all the clues you need. It t- directs you where to go. Um, artwork on this looks really, really interesting. There seem to have been a few bugs in the app when we were playing it, so... I'm not reviewing it, obviously. This is like something I'm excited to see in the future once it's done. Mm-hmm. But it was a pretty good time. I really like Sherlock Holmes, Consulting Detective. So this the idea of taking away the perfect information of that, where you read everything, you know all the details, and you just have to piece it together, and making it so you have to actually have to observe things. Sure. You know, strap this headset on and try to look around and find all the clues. I'm pretty excited to see how that plays out. Yeah, it was nice to see that, you know, at least demoed at PAX, and the use and the integration of the app was really fun. I like that. It had that little kind of goggles that you put over your phone so you can kind of like zoom in and see what's possibly a clue. And then trying to figure out what's the best combination. Who should you call in to investigate what clues? And then who should you talk to at the right moment? So it kind of unpacks as the story goes on. And that was pretty interesting. It was very different. I didn't think it was going to be, you know, really that in depth, but. Yeah, it was a nice time. It was a nice game. All right, so my acquisition disorder was another game that we got to try out demo at PAX. And going the complete opposite way of Anthony, instead of like high technology, we are talking about a very simple but interesting and fun dexterity game. And I'm talking about Meeple Circus from Matago Games. Now, this is a game that came out at Essen. I think it was also demoed Gen Con 2017. And hopefully it'll get you know worldwide distribution. Now, 
Anthony, you've played with your meeples before when you're playing Carcassonne or other games, right? Yeah, what else are you supposed to do? <laughs> yeah, definitely. So basically they take the idea of like, you've used an endless number of meeples over the years, all different shapes, sizes, and colors. And they said, you know what? That's kind of funny and that's kind of interesting. So we're going to give you a circular board for your kind of like ring top. And we are going to give you different objectives that you have to meet in order to score victory points. So at the start of the game, you choose one of these special tiles and that tile is gonna give you equipment. It's gonna give you meeples that are gonna be able to perform special acts, score victory points. And based upon what you pick on this fancy top row and this basic bottom row, it's going to give you the basic essential things that you need to put on a show. So it's kind of a very simplified and dexterity-based version of Coliseum in a way, because this is gonna make up the show, and this is the victory point situation that you're shooting for, and then all at the same time, you're gonna use this very great app that, that comes along with the game's little companion app that's gonna play this circus music, and it's gonna give you time clues, and you are gonna to try to meet as many of the different objectives as you can using the meeples and the different equipment. So the equipment could be like a little wooden ball, it could be a little wooden plank, and then eventually different animals and different special performers come into play. So you're gonna do that and it sounds extremely easy. And it is until you realize you have giant hands <laughs> and these meeples are very tiny and there's a lot of noise and music going on and you're trying to get this little tiny meeple to fit on a certain way. Meeples score differently depending on where they're placed and their height and depending on the different objectives there. It plays over three rounds and in the third round there's kind of a wacky round where it's kind of trying to bring more of a party element to the game so these final objectives in the third round have you things like clapping have you things like telling crazy stories having you use only your left hand or keep one hand over your eye just different kind of dynamics to kind of make the game a little bit more difficult in that final round it plays quick i think it was a half hour to 45 minutes maybe just because we were playing around with it a little too much but fast fun interesting game that you can play with your family or your friends on the lighter side, but definitely take something to keep an eye out for in uh, 2018. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. It's uh, seeing what some people could pull off was interesting, and then looking at my own little meager circus, where it's just a bunch of meeples piled on top of each other that barely met the rules of what I was supposed to be doing. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. This is a game that like serious Euro gamers shouldn't play, not because they wouldn't like it, because they're gonna over try <laughs> overly and overly try to find an efficient way to kind of square victory points there so it's like yeah i could do this feature and then put it on top of this feature and put it on top of this feature and they'll connect to this feature it's like wow that's really crazy and it's falling apart and you just need to do your little kind of acts together but fun quick easy simple game that you'll probably see on the store shelves pretty soon all right so that's everything for our acquisition stores now on to our at the table so anthony bga is you know crushing as far as packs unplugged is we hit everything we were here the entire time what did you get to the table that you felt like was outstanding here yeah i played a lot of games so i figure at the end of a con uh let's stay positive and talk about the ones we really liked <laughs> there you go um so the the one game that i wanted to talk about is one that i was actually a little hesitant about before the con uh just because of some of the stuff i'd heard and the description of the game doesn't sound Super exciting. Mm -hmm. But uh, in the end, I was very, very pleasantly pleased. And that was Nussfjord, the new Uwe Rosenberg game. And the, the the thing about this game is that it's 
not nearly as sprawling, epic, big, or monstrous, <laughs> I guess is the best word to use, sure. uh, as it, the most recent games, um, you know, Feast for Odin, or sure. Fields of Arl, or even Caverna. It is streamlined, it is shortened down. Um, just for reference, there are only three resources in the game. Mm-hmm. You have fish, wood, and money. That's it. And you're so you're generating fish, you're generating wood, you're generating money, you're spending those things. Ta-da. Is it possible that Uwe ran out of resources after all of his games? Like the endless supplies of like wheat and cows and chicken and stone. Oh yeah, maybe. He just had a stockpile <laughs> of fish and wood. That's right. That's all he had left. He's like, Alright, I gotta make a game out of this, so <laughs> Hope they like it. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, you have a, a little player board. It has a bunch of spaces on it. Um, you start the game with a little more than half of them covered up with forests. Sure. And every space there is worth negative one point, so you want to cover as many as you can by the end of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, you have five shares, two of which you already own, three of which are unissued. So those are worth negative points at the end of the game as well. And the goal is... Uh, you know, you want to take these different worker actions that let you do a few things. They let you buy ships that mm-hmm. let you, those ships are worth victory points, but they also let you produce more fish. They let you uh, pick up elders. There are these elder cards, mm-hmm. which give you special powers and special actions you can take. But you then have to feed the elders every round. So whatever your fish income is, it gets reduced a little bit by however many elders you have. Um, and then you can build buildings. So there's a big tableau of all these different building cards, and you can pay fish, wood, and money to add those buildings to your own personal tableau, covering up those spaces so you don't have negative points. That's pretty much it. Um, there's a couple other mechanics there. There's this banquet table that you're going to fill up with fish. Uh, you can only buy or activate elders if there are fish on the banquet table to take. Um, to feed them, I guess. Okay. Uh, so it's a, there's a lot of focus here on feeding old people. So. I guess so. I think Uwe was really hungry that day when he made this game. Yeah, and they really like fish. Um, but the action economy here is just so interesting because maybe you don't want to put stuff out on the banquet table because then other people are going to use it for their actions. Mm-hmm. Um, and you get something for it, but you don't get as much as if you could use those later. So you wait for someone else to do it, but then you're not taking the actions you want to take. Sure. You only get three actions per round. Sometimes you have to use those actions up on getting rid of your shares. Sure. Somebody else might buy your shares. If they buy your shares, then you have to give them fish every round. So mm-hmm. you have to be careful with that as well. Um, lots and lots of things to keep track of here, and yet it's still very, very streamlined. Uh, you know, it's it's definitely paired back from all the other stuff he's been releasing lately. We played it in less than an hour and a half. I think it was like an hour and 15 minutes. None of us have played before, and that's impressive by itself. Sure. Table space, it takes up... Uh, probably the normal amount of table space for a board game, not yeah. an Uwe Rosenberg amount of table space. Um, so yeah, this is a fantastic game. I've really, really enjoyed it. It's It fills kind of a gap, I think, in his collection of games that he's produced, mm-hmm. uh, just in terms of weight. So it's between like all those lighter two-player games and all the bigger, longer um, farming games. I think it's a good, solid, I don't think it's lightweight, but I think it's definitely more accessible time-wise. So this is a pretty high buy then for you. Yeah, I'm definitely going to pick this up, I think. So okay. um, the only thing I'm hesitant about is the price is a little bit high considering what comes in the box. Sure. Uh, you know, it doesn't feel like a $70 game, but what are you going to do? Uh, it's It was a lot of fun. And I think, you know, there's been some concerns about some of the mechanisms and, you know, how they kind of play out with larger player accounts. Yeah. I only play with three players, so I can't speak to any of that. Sure. Um, but from what I've seen and how it kind of plays out, I, I 
you know, I think I'll really enjoy this, and I, I know my group will too. Okay, that's good to hear because this seems like one of those types of games that could clearly just fall beneath the radar because he has so many big marquee games. Yeah, and I'm, I don't, I don't know if it will or not. Like I, when I first heard of it, I was like, oh, a new Rosenberg, and it's, a, you know, it's a, it's one of his core games, yeah. and there really hasn't been a lot of buzz about it. Sure, and the, the talk I have heard is people just concerned about it being lighter than the other ones. Which is ironic because a lot of people had issues with Feast for Odin because it was just too much. Yes. Like it went too far. Too many things. So Very I true. like that he scaled it back and didn't decide to go even bigger than a Feast for Odin. Sure. It's hard. I, I guess once you reach a certain echelon, the only thing that ever catches anyone's attention if you go bigger, if it's grander, if, if it's yeah. something more dynamic. And it's nice to see him take a step back, especially since... Most people won't jump into a Caverna or an Agricola or a Feast for Odin. So something that's a little more accessible would probably bring them up to a next level. Yeah. And he, like you said, he hasn't really had that type of game yet. It's something that plays in a reasonable amount of time without excessive number of resources. Yeah, yeah, it's really nice. And it's it's cool to see him kind of scale back from that sandbox design he's been using the last few years. Sure. I love sandboxes. Feast for Odin is one of my favorite games. But... I also like the worker placement aspect, and I love the way he puts his games together and be able to make it more accessible and a little simpler without 800 options to have to teach people. Sure. Teaching this game will be very simple. 15-minute teach. So all those things combined, it's definitely something that deserves a place on my shelf. Great. All right, well, a game that I got to the table at PAX is a game that I recently talked about in our acquisition disorders, and that's Majesty. This is a game from the designer for Splendor. Now... I'm kind of publicly known as not a Splendor lover, <laughs> and I've gotten a lot of hate mail for that, and bring it on, because <laughs> generally the game doesn't do enough, and I feel like a little bit surprised here. Majesty actually does. Now, what you're going to do is you're going to start off with a line of cards, and each of these cards are going to relate to a different building, and the buildings are the mill, the brewery, the cottage, the guardhouse, the barracks, the inn the castle and the infirmity now in majesty basically what you're going to do is choose a card from a lineup kind of like a marketplace and the first card is free and if you want to go down that marketplace you're going to have to pay a meeple for every card that you skip over so in kind of a way meeple is kind of your currency here so if you want to take someone down the line it's going to cost you more meeples now you start with five which is pretty good and that's your like little village area there but as the game goes on, as people skip, there'll be other meeples available. So if you end up having more meeples than the five, you score additional victory points for that. So there is an incentive to take cards in the front of the row that have meeples placed on them, but maybe not the ideal choice at that time. So it's just kind of a way to kind of skyrocket, but also keep your meeples at a point where if you do want a card later down the road, you're in a position to pick that card up. Now, the cards in the lineup relate to the different buildings so you might actually have a farmer that you want to be able to put and help out at the mill and basically it's pretty simple there's a symbol along with a piece of artwork on these very small cards you find which building it goes along with you place it at the bottom and then there is a special ability that activates when you do that now depending on the building it could be something as simple as scoring victory points just for that person in that building or it could be something more complex like scoring additional buildings nearby or it could be something like the guardhouse which is going to provide you 
not just victory points, but support against attacks. Now, attacks are interesting because when you place a knight in the barracks, it's going to hit everyone at the table. So you don't have to select anyone in particular, but in Majesty, it's going to knock everyone back. So it's going to take out a character on their row, and that's going to put that person in the infirmity. Now, that's not too terrible because if you're able to get someone into the cottage, they'll actually be able to bring that card back and that person back into the building that they once were. And you want to do that because there's a negative victory point for every person in the infirmary. Now, you also have the inn that's going to score you additional victory points. And finally, the castle, which is going to score you the kind of the maximum victory points for any of those particular buildings, which once again, makes very thematic sense. Now, you wouldn't or couldn't have a Splendor-like game from a Splendor-like designer without great tokens. And this game has amazing, smaller than Splendor, of course, but really nice, solid, very similar to Splendor tokens that you'll use for victory points in this game. Now, I would say that I was a little disappointed that there wasn't as much currency in this game as possible, especially in the smaller denominations, but we made it work and it wasn't too much of an issue. This game's quick. We knocked it out with our friend Dave probably in a half hour for three people. And that was really with us trying to kind of like max out the game and really try to learn the rules. But I can imagine you knocking this game out in 20 minutes because it really is so incredibly fast. At the end of the game, you score based upon majority. So if you have the majority of characters in a particular building, you score that victory points that are on the bottom. And then based upon how many workers you have in those different buildings, that gets squared and you score additional victory points plus the victory points you score in the game already. A lot of victory points. That's going to lead you to victory. I think we were over 120, 130 as far as that game's concerned. But super quick, not AP prone whatsoever. Majesty is a buy. It's a solid game and I would gladly play this more than Splendor any day of the week. It does everything Splendor does and a lot, lot more. Yeah, yeah, I feel like it's it's ironic if this becomes the Splendor killer we keep talking about <laughs> from the guy who deserves Splendor. I killed my own game! <laughs> why? Um, yeah, Splendor's got legs. People love that game, and I, I guess I understand why. But, sure. Uh, it's, it's, it never really resonated with me uh, as much as it has with other people in my group. And uh, this game, I feel like, could. I mean, it really it has interesting decisions. Uh, there's randomness in the cards. You can't. It doesn't really run on autopilot. You have to make decisions based on what's available every turn. Mm -hmm. So, and there's one of those twelve turns. So it's not. It doesn't drag on forever. It can't go long. No. It's just. It is what it is, and you're done. Yeah. The cards run out in that kind of market row that you'd be able to pick them up, and that's pretty much the game. It's quick. It's simple. It has a tiny footprint, but yet it really does feel like you're doing something, and I like that. This is a great filler for anyone who either likes Splendor games or likes a kind of quick mechanical Euro game, Majesty's a buy, go out and pick it up. All right, Anthony, so we talked about our acquisition disorders from PAX Unplugged. We talked about our at-the-tables about Unplugged. What about PAX Unplugged? This is our feature review for this week. We're going to talk about all the highlights and some of the lowlights that happen at PAX Unplugged. But in general, it was kind of a crazy, interesting time. I don't think that we've ever had so much conversation with so many different people about just the con itself. That was kind of the main thing. Typically, it's about board games or typically it's about people, but everyone was talking about the convention. You couldn't walk more than two feet without hearing a conversation about everything that was going on. How'd you feel about it? Yeah, no, it was weird because, yeah, usually if you go 
to a, another con like Origins or Gen Con or BG, even the small ones like BGG Con. It's about yeah. the events, the games, and the people who are there. Sure. And that's generally what we would talk about in a feature like this. But in this case, PAX itself is an entity. Yes. <laughs> it is a this giant brand that everybody that attracted people to the show yes. and that everybody didn't really know how to deal with and at sometimes they didn't know how to deal with us yes. so um it's it's interesting because on one hand i really enjoyed the show uh because it was a little more laid back mm-hmm. it was very straightforward it was for the most part decently organized um but on the other hand there was definitely some issues that i know a lot of people had and that are part of the growing process the first year so having all those conversations and hearing from the publishers and knowing what they went through and then talking to all the people attending and our friends and you know our fellow podcasters and what they experienced is very very interesting to kind of get a feel for that way yeah pax unplugged was the first time that pax which is typically known for at least initially independent video games and now kind of like video games they're the kind of video game convention that you really want to go to if you really want to find a personalized connection and kind of the hottest cutting edge stuff from people that may not be out there everywhere, right? This is not a convention for EA. This is a convention pretty much for everybody else. So years and years ago, Anthony and I went to PAX East and we're big video game fans and that was great. And it turns out they had a whole board game area. And if ironically enough, we met... A lot of these starting companies, like Cool Mini or not, yeah, <laughs> out there who had like basically two warehouse workers running the booth, and was kind of showing you know Rivet Wars to us and like, hey, what's this game about? Yeah, just backed on Kickstarter and stuff like that. And here we are now in 2017, and it's a whole board game convention. It's unplugged. There weren't. Any video games here? I know there were some board game video games and there were some companion video game stuff, but it wasn't a video game convention and it was something very different. And it was a weird mix of different things. Like like you said, Anthony, there was a lot of just PAX fans there. People who love PAX, love being part of that kind of PAX family. They were there and they were discovering board games. And then there were all the board game fans that were there discovering PAX. And then obviously the publishers discovering the PAX fans and discovering PAX and at the same time meeting with us again. Yeah, no, it was very, it was an interesting experience because you had, you know, almost every publisher we talked to talked about the different nature of the attendees. Like most of these cons, it's gamers and they're there and they have 200 games at home and they're looking to add 30 more. You know, it's us, it's us full, you know, it's a cons full of us, right? Um, PAX was different, uh, apparently this year, because it was a lot of people who were not as familiar with gaming. You know, one publisher said something to the effect of, how often do you hear somebody describe Barnes and Noble as their go-to place for board games? (laughs) Yeah. Right. And it's, that's awesome. And everybody agreed that was awesome because you had different people coming in who some of them had never played a board game before. Some of them, um, their only experience with board games is like the old stuff off their, you know, their parents' uh, game shelves. And some of these people were just PAX fans who were like, what is this thing? Sure. You know, and how do I get the pins and shirts from this particular con? <laughs> yeah. Right? And then they came in and they had a lot of fun and they demoed a lot of games. Sure. They didn't buy many, apparently, but <laughs> they demoed a lot of games. Yeah. A lot of people were saying that, I guess, 
don't know, maybe it was 50-50 as far as PAX fans and board game fans that were there. But you had your PAX people talking in video game terminology to the board game publishers that were kind of thrown a little bit. Instead of calling it expansion, they were calling it DLC. And a lot of the board game people meeting all these PAX people for the first time and going, you guys do a nice con. I'm, I'm, you know, it's pretty surprising. And then obviously having a board game convention at this level in Philadelphia at this time of the year in November, nice job, Philadelphia. I mean, clean, neat. Everything was open pretty much all the time. A, a lot of just supportive, helpful people. Great convention center, modern, clean. There was plenty of hotels. Maybe you had a, maybe you're a little far, but it was never kind of Gen Con or Origins crazy where you were just like a half hour, 45 minutes or an hour away by car. So no one seemed stressed. No one seemed, you know, put out by the situation. You didn't hear people like sleeping on the floor or crying about the housing situation. And there was ample parking around the convention center, which once again, Gen Con and Origins always has a problem with. So that was really nice to see. And the setup, I, I think we were both kind of taken back by this. Like, what size was this going to be? Because was it going to be origin size, Gen Con size? Was it going to be tiny? Because a lot of these companies were coming, but they didn't say exactly what they were doing, what they were bringing, what they were demoing. They just were going to be there. So a very different type of look. Why don't you talk about that? Yeah, I mean, it was... Like, and we, you know, the press room overlooked the whole area, so we went up there first, and we could look down and see it wasn't huge, yeah, uh, exhibit hole wise, right? There was, I think, fourteen or fifteen rows, you know, and Origins, I think, has something like around there, maybe a little bit more. Gen Con has thirty, yeah. Um, so definitely smaller in terms of like actual people selling stuff. Sure. But you look at the rest of the room, yeah. the whole other side, and it's just tables as far as the eye could see. Yes. Right? And so that was tournaments. They had the first look area. They Lots had, you know, people painting miniatures. They had people doing demos. They had all sorts of stuff. Magic tournaments, whatever. And that, for example, on Saturday was basically completely full. Sure. Um, thousands of people playing games. So it was a very interesting layout because we're used to, you know, we go to these cons and the centerpiece is the exhibit hall, right? And... I wouldn't call it a centerpiece. It was exhibit halls are always fun. There's a lot sure. of interesting people. You get to demo a lot of good stuff, but you know they didn't put the carpet down. It's concrete, sure. Um, and a lot of people, you know, didn't. We didn't have any like huge productions in terms of booths because yes. people were kind of playing a little bit safe coming into the first year. Understandably, of course. Yeah. Um, and it was definitely more of a play games convention than a buy games convention. Yeah, I think the most notable thing for me was the number of booths that did downsize or play it safe or just had a, a very small display. There were a lot of game publishers, really big game publishers, which is tables and maybe a tablecloth on it. And it was just like, really? You know, it just, it really took us back a little bit because you could argue, and maybe this is true, is that, that there were more vendors than Origins or very close to that, but it definitely didn't seem like that because the level of production that most of the companies were putting out was dramatically smaller now obviously bgg con was happening exactly at the same time as pax unplugged so they lost some staff and obviously some some fans were going to be over there so it's you gotta you know you take the good with the bad and as anthony said there was no carpeting on the general walkways for people 
some of the companies took care of their employees and did a great job. You know, USAopoly especially had, yeah. had, <laughs> had the nicest floors I've ever stepped on. It doesn't seem like a big thing to you, but if you've been to these cons and if you've been here more than one day, your feet start to hurt because you're walking on concrete the entire time, you're staying the entire time, at least in the vendor area, it messed with you. And not having the carpets on the general walkway, even at a very thin level, you could feel it. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, special shout out, USAopoly. Come yeah. on. That was like... That was the nicest carpet I've ever been on a con. Because <laughs> usually when you go to some of these conventions and you're there for days, it's like you're looking for an island in this ocean of like yeah. hard floors. You're like, oh, this is great. This is, I'll stand here forever. Yeah, usually it's Mayfair. Mayfair does good by the Yes, flooring, they but do. They weren't here. So, <laughs> um, yeah, no, I mean, it was a lot. It was still a lot of fun. It was just, I feel like a lot of these things were growing pains, you know. Sure. You know, PAX didn't necessarily know what the board game people needed. Board game people didn't necessarily know what to expect from the PAX crowd. Sure. Um, apparently, there were some setup issues that some people had to work through that were, you know, problematic in many ways that hopefully they can fix for next year. But overall, I mean, like Chris said, like you said, the, the venue's great. Uh, yeah, the it, venue's beautiful, perfect, has plenty of room for expansion, a whole second level that wasn't even touched, a lot of rooms that weren't even touched, the hotels weren't even touched, so... This definitely has a lot of room for growth. I know that they've already booked next year because they were that confident. Saturday sold out. Three-day passes were very limited at this point. I think next year we're going to see maybe both days or definitely three-day passes kind of being sold out. As you said, logistics-wise, there's a lot they have to work out to benefit the publishers coming to these cons because a lot of people were unhappy as far as the cost and setting things up and a lot of people were unsure of the situation but i think it was a mixed bag because a lot of people enjoyed packs and helping them with those issues so hopefully this time next year those things are worked out everyone's got a better sense of these things hopefully people didn't leave with the wrong idea i think next year obviously this won't be at the same time as bgg there'll be a lot more board game people here a lot of publishers were saying, well, we're going to reorganize. We're going to do you know, more demos and less games where, I don't know, personally, I felt like I really would want to see more games for purchase because it's right around the holidays. I want to buy some games. And I think one of the biggest disappointments, you know, an expectation on my part was there were going to be Essen games here. Yeah. And maybe we saw two or three. Yeah, there was only a handful. I mean, uh, Ares had Hunt for the Ring. Yes. I know that was... A lot of people were tracking that one down. Um, Portal brought alien artifacts. Yes. They had a lot of that. Uh, the we had Capstone had Wildcatters. Yeah, um, they brought that uh, as well as their recent releases from over the summer. So there was a handful of sure. games, but honestly, they were like the games that were already ready to go and probably are close to distribution. Um, really didn't see like the stuff that we really wanted to play. Yeah, <laughs> but we have to give them incredible props because they put together this first look area where they had all of the games to play yes and then they had teachers there who knew about 80 percent of those games yep so we were able to play that's how we played news Fjord, that's how we played meeple circus it's you know it's how we played most of these games um whereas at most cons this is a thing that we always complain that doesn't exist true so we're very happy about that yeah, and this first look area wasn't just like you walk by and you look at the games, but this was a very large play area. And I would say the vast majority of the Essen games that just recently came out were available. And they thanked, so please let me thank Game Surplus 
for helping them bring that collection to the table because when I was coming to the con, I was like, well, do I want to hit the vendors the entire time? Do I want to do tournaments? Do I want to do panels? What I really want to do is play games. And yeah, I, I love Seven Wonders and I can do six hours of that, but I want to play the new Essen games. I want to play the new releases. And that first look area was free to use. You had to wait a little while sometimes to get in on the game, but it wasn't that much of a problem ex- exception of that Saturday, which was packed. And that just made my convention. That first look area, packs, game surplus, outstanding job there. Loved it, especially having the teachers or the packs and PAX employees that were at least trying to teach some of these games if they didn't know it off the top of their head. That made the convention do that again. Origins and Gen Con, please listen. We want to play those games. Yes, please. <laughs> you know, if if everything's behind a huge paywall or if everything is locked away, you have to buy the game, you got to figure the game out. You just want to come and play the game. So great job on that. Excellent time. That was a lot of fun. And definitely want to come back next year. Yeah, we can play more TI4. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. I mean, we got a lot of convention games in. Our friend Dave and Eddie were here and especially um, people from Whole Card, our friends back from New Jersey and Dave and Vern and just so many of our friends. It was nice to have a convention where you just knew people when walking around. Yeah. Yeah. Jason and I got to meet for the first time. Yes. Every night is game night uh, co-host. Um, met a few of his friends, uh, hung out with a few people from the Dice Tower. We had like half the Dice Tower in our hotel. Here. I know. I don't great. know. It seemed like everybody in board games is staying in the same hotel. Um, yeah, and it was a lot of fun. We got to lock down a good chunk of the uh, the lobby last night and played Twilight Imperium 4 for eight hours. So that was fun. And get literally every single person walking by and like, <laughs> what you playing? What, what, what hour is it, man? <laughs> and they look at the score and be like, oh, you guys aren't close at all. Like... Thanks, man. (laughs) It was our first time playing it. We played with four players. And my initial review of this game, not a full review, but my initial review is don't let the game freak you out. Yes, it does take some time, but it's really not that hard of a game to play and really not that hard of a game to learn. No, it's crazy. Like you, I think you hear the the game length and you're like, oh, that has to be super complicated. It's not super complicated. There's just a lot to do. Yeah. Uh, It's, you know, it's, relatively accessible i was surprised there really was and really when you say a lot to do there's a lot to do as far as the rounds are concerned but basically on your turn you're taking one action and then everyone else could follow and then the next person takes their action so yeah you have like one of three options yeah it's pretty short pretty simple don't let that freak you out if you see it at a con definitely play it and you know anthony will have that full review at some point pretty soon yeah yeah Man, that was, that was my major goal. That's the only thing I wanted to do with this con. I did it, so it was a success. I don't care about any of the rest of this stuff. <laughs> and that's what you want to do at a con. You want to play a con game, and we did, and it's done, and it was awesome. And PAX Unplugged 2017, overall an outstanding job, a buy for, a buy. <laughs> for next year. Uh, buy the three-day pass if this was any... Any, even if on a small level, any example of what next year would be like, I think you're going to enjoy this. It was a very chill situation. So it had that origins kind of like, just hang out and see what's going on. Play some demos. Not that not that kind of massive stress of just a ton of people. And with that first look area, getting to play the newest and hottest games before they even hit the shelf. Amazing. And obviously, there's so much more to talk about. And we'll talk about it over the upcoming weeks. Check out our Facebook page. There's a ton of pictures there. There were amazing panels there. As we said, all our Dice Tower friends and family out there, they were there. We working together. And 
We'll have more as the year goes on. And until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll save you a seat at PAX Unplugged 2018.